Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. Lindsay, my friend, is back again to talk about separation. Separation is a really important boundary that some women use to establish safety. And Lindsay has done both an in-home separation and now is separated out of her home. And she's going to talk about her experience. So can you tell us why you felt unsafe in your own home? Pretty early on when I started doing my own recovery, I learned how important it was to me to have my husband both working recovery in a way that I could see. So he needed to share with me what he was doing or you know, going to meetings and various other things. And then also that he needed to be honest with me. And the honesty has been a real sticking point in our relationship. And so when he went through another repeated experience where he had gone through two months of acting out behavior without disclosing it to me, that's when I felt unsafe and knew I needed to change something. Did you feel unsafe before you found out he was lying to you or was there something in your gut that you knew was wrong and you just didn't have sort of quote-unquote evidence until you found out? I definitely felt uneasy, that's for sure, and I knew that I wasn't seeing the recovery behaviors. He wasn't communicating with me. And so I knew that something was up. But until I really had the direct evidence, I didn't want to move forward yet. And it was only a matter of months. And I don't move that quickly with making boundaries. It takes me a while. So So once you determined that you felt unsafe and that your husband's behaviors were unsafe, mainly that he had been lying to you. Why did you choose an in-home separation for your boundary at that time? So at that time, I knew I felt unsafe and I knew that something needed to change. It was actually almost a month between me knowing that there was dishonesty happening and me actually coming to the conclusion that an in-home separation was the boundary that I wanted to move forward with mostly because I just didn't know what to do. I was totally at a loss. But I happened to go to a retreat within that about month period of time. It was the SAL Women's Retreat. And while I was there, I had some really amazing experiences with meditation that helped me come to the conclusion that I really needed to have safety within my home and I needed to have a place in my home that could be my safe place. And for me, the easiest way that I could envision that happening would be to have an in-home separation where I could have my bedroom be that safe place. Let's talk about safety for a minute. So a lot of women listening might think, okay, he was lying to you, and so you felt unsafe. Were there any other evidences that you felt unsafe, which there doesn't need to be, but I want to talk about this because a lot of women think, well, he's not yelling at me, right? Mm -hmm. He's not punching walls. He's not screaming in my face. So yeah, I'm safe. When emotionally they might not be safe because they're trusting someone or they're interacting with someone who's lying to their face. Talk about how you came to realize that you deserved more than just 
Well, he's not yelling at me. In particular, in my relationship with my husband, this is definitely the case. My husband is, in a lot of respects, a good husband and a good father to my children. You know, he's respectful. He helps around the house. He does all the right things on the surface. And he's not manipulative or abusive verbally in some ways in that he doesn't try to put me down or other ways that I've seen in other people's relationships. Obviously, the lying is abuse in and of itself. But for me, it was just these little red flags of things saying like, you know what, I'm not seeing him go to group or he hasn't gone to group in a couple of weeks or his therapy has kind of been spotty. All these little things that it says to me, something is off. Each one of those in and of itself isn't totally wrong. But when you look at the big picture and you look at all these little red flags that are coming up and he's not communicating with me, he's not telling me what he's thinking and what is going on in his recovery. That to me becomes a red flag that says, you know what, something is probably off in terms of his sobriety, in terms of his recovery. So at the time when you're telling your family, I don't feel safe, I'm going to have an in-home separation, were they like, why don't you feel safe? I'm confused. What is he doing? Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, even to this day, it's something that I'm not sure I have words to capture exactly what it means, which is hard because in a certain sense, you want to feel justified when you're talking to your family or when you're talking to your friends about the actions that you're taking. And so that's been a struggle. It's been kind of a back and forth and just kind of a continuing conversation with my parents, with my siblings, with other people who are aware of what's going on. Just trying to share with them how I'm feeling. And when I do come across podcasts or if I come across a quote from some recovery materials that I feel captures what I'm feeling, I'm more inclined to share that with them to help communicate. But it's hard. Do you feel like you're better at communicating how you feel now than when you first started the in-home separation? Yes and no. In some ways, obviously, I've definitely grown in my recovery and read more, listened to more, gone to more things. But in other ways, no, because it's still something that's just hard to describe to somebody who hasn't experienced it themselves. And so for me, one of my personal boundaries for myself has been to say, it's okay for me to not be able to describe what I'm feeling to somebody. That's okay. And it doesn't mean that my feelings are unjustified. Both that and then also it's okay that I can't explain all my reasons why I feel unsafe. But my decision to set a boundary is justified. I don't have to justify it to other right. people. It's okay. It's just a tough position to be in. Yeah. Okay, so you were doing an in-house separation for how long? About a year. Okay. And during that time, you didn't necessarily see his 
healthy behaviors improve? I did for a time. Okay. I did for a time. He had a lot of external factors in his life change. And so for a period of time, he was doing really well. And he, it felt different to you? And it felt different. He was consistently going to a 12-step meeting. He was consistently meeting with a therapist. He was consistently doing 12-step work and sharing it with me. Not that I would always read it, but I knew that it was happening. And just regularly sharing with me where he was at. And so for a time, things were feeling better. Let's pretend, and I really mean pretend, yes, for just a moment, that in order to change your abusive behaviors, there's no such thing as 12-step group. There's no such thing as therapy. There's nothing. All there is is the changing behaviors themselves. Let's just pretend that for one second. Mm -hmm. Would you say his behaviors toward you and how that felt were improved? Or was it just he was just going to group? I mean, do you see what I mean? I see what you mean. It's actually, it reminds me of some conversations I've had with other women who talk about being able to tell the difference between when their husband is acting out and yeah. when he's not. For me personally, I have not been able to tell. Now, that doesn't mean that's on him or it's on me. I'm pretty unobservant as a person generally. I just know that about myself. And it's one area where I have had to ask things of my husband accordingly because I'm unobservant so I say if you don't tell me about what you're doing don't just assume that I've noticed it because I don't notice things very easily so there's definitely that playing into it but it's also I don't know that he was acting that differently simply because in general he's a good husband and a good dad his behaviors generally are pretty okay Quote, quote, unquote, quote, unquote, okay. Reasonable. <laughs> reasonable. Or healthy. Yeah. They seem that way to you. Mm -hmm. So for you, it was just that you knew he had a history of porn use. Yes. You can't necessarily tell from his behavior whether right. or not he's using it or not. Right. All you could see is he doesn't seem to be interested in meetings, therapy, and that was your indicator that you were right. probably unsafe because you've got a, somebody with a history of lying to you and someone with a history of using porn. Exactly. Okay. I'm thinking right now that those of us who can clearly see mm -hmm. through their behavior, mm -hmm. right? They're very irritable. They're kind of lucky maybe. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah. not, but yes. Mm -hmm. But behavior is so much more extreme. But the weird thing is, it doesn't mean you're in any less danger from being lied to, no. necessarily. No. So I'm not saying that we're lucky. It's just, it's an interesting dilemma. And it's the different. spectrum of these abusive behaviors is so vast. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And it can look so different. Okay. So you're separated in your home for about a year. You're living upstairs mm -hmm. and he's living in the basement. Mm-hmm. And I am personal friends with you in yes. the same state, in the same place. And so I know you've been making an effort to, like, have friends come over in the evening when you're lonely. And you've just been learning new skills on how to navigate a life where you're separated yeah. from your spouse. Now, after about a year, you found out that he was still lying to you and using porn. 
I wouldn't say still lying. He wasn't lying to me for that whole year. There was a two-month period of time. That you know of. That I know of where he definitely was. And he could have been. You could have been You just don't know know yet. Okay. Mm -hmm. So after you found out that he had been lying to you again, you took some time. Yes. Let's talk about that process of what to do now. You've been separated in your home. Then you find out he's been lying to me again. He's been using porn again. We've already been separated in the home. Mm -hmm. So now what do I do? So talk about how you felt and the process that you went through to determine what steps to take next. I actually need to back up a little bit because that process started a little bit before I knew that he was lying to me. I had had some other pretty big indicators that something was really wrong. Can you tell us what those were? I had a conversation with him shortly after one of his therapy appointments. He was on his way out the door, so it was not a good time to be talking, but I had just asked him about how his therapy went, and he was sharing with me about him being in a slump, how they say they're in a slump, that he had shared that with the therapist, and the therapist had been working with him on trying to determine what his motivation for working recovery was, trying to do pros and cons of working recovery and not working recovery and all these things. They'd been doing a couple of different exercises. And then he shared a question that the therapist had asked him, and it was basically saying, so how long do you think this is sustainable to stay in this slump? And then he told me that his answer to the therapist had been something to the extent of, well, that depends on my wife. That depends on. That depends on Lindsay. Yeah. And I was like, oh, (laughs) that's not okay with me. I don't know if I could put words at the time to why that wasn't okay with me, but that did not feel right. I want his recovery to be his own. I want him to be motivated to do it for his own well-being. And I don't want him to feel that it's okay to not work recovery as long as I'm not making his life unbearable. Or harder. Yeah. So it's like... Well, if she doesn't bug me anymore than now, (laughs) then maybe forever. It just depends on Lindsay. Mm -hmm. And granted, we talked about that conversation later. He didn't intend it the way that I interpreted it. That said, it still came across really as a big, big red flag for me. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, that was actually the first time that I had ever considered the reality or the possible reality of an out-of-home separation. And that scared me. It terrified me. (laughs) So the thought had been planted a couple weeks before. Before we go on, can you put in words, and I should have asked this before, but I'm just thinking of it now, Mm -hmm. and it's okay if you can't, because we just talked about that. (laughs) But can you put into words why, if all other behaviors seem healthy, why lying and porn use to you is unacceptable? Yeah, absolutely. The lying, it just is a really not okay foundation for any relationship. Because if he's lying about this, who knows what else he could be lying about. And yes, on the surface, the things that I see and experience seem to be okay. But who knows? But like you said, 
you're not, I'm not the most observant. <laughs> you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Yep. No, I know you personally, and you are. But, but it would be interesting to see if someone else were in your situation. Right. right? It would be if so different. If she was like, well, no, these things are really bad. These other things right. that maybe for whatever reason I don't you're notice. not recognizing yeah. or whatever. Absolutely. That would be interesting to know. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it would be very different. Or if she was like, I agree. You know? <laughs> Who knows? Gail Dines was on the podcast previously. If you have not heard that episode, please go back and listen to it. She's amazing. She was saying, women, even if nothing else is going on, you do not want, you cannot accept porn in a relationship, period. It is an abusive act and is not okay. So I'm proud of you for being like, even though I don't exactly know how these behaviors are affecting me, I know that it is and I will not accept it. Yeah. That is a really brave thing to do. (laughs) For me personally, pornography is something that goes against my values, my spiritual beliefs, belief system. So that also has been just a very clear from the start, this is not okay. Before I found recovery for myself, I knew it was not okay, but I didn't know that anything could be done about it. I would be told by bishops really what felt to me like contradictory statements where it's like, recovery is possible, sobriety is possible, and yet addiction is going to be a lifelong thing. And I didn't get how those two things that felt to me like opposites could both be true. Mm-hmm. It's possible for him to change, but if he doesn't, it's actually possible for you, the victim, to find peace, to find happiness. It's taking a long time. Yeah. Right? It takes a long time to figure out what that looks like and how that's going to go. Because lying and pornography are unacceptable to you, then you start this process of determining what is my next step for safety. I've already done an in-home separation, and... It seemed to keep me safe for a little while. For a little while, it held him accountable for his behaviors. It did hold him accountable for his behaviors, but it didn't necessarily motivate him to change, which wasn't your point. Your point was just to keep yourself safe. So now you're realizing, hmm, I'm not any safer. Yeah. How do you decide that you need to increase your boundaries yet again because you're still unsafe toward a out-of-home separation where he moves out of the house? Yeah, that was a long thought process for me because realistically, the boundary of an in-home separation has a wide range of levels of connection, even within that. And I thought about it and I realized I had pretty much explored that range, at least as far as I knew how. We had a period of time fairly early on in the in-home separation where things were awful. He was acting out every week and telling me about it. When you say acting out, you mean using Looking, porn and masturbating? Yeah. So that was happening on a weekly basis. Felt to me like it was endless. And so that was really hard for me. And at that point in time, our in-home separation was very low contact. Like, I would very much schedule the times when I would be seeing him. It would be family dinner with the kids. And outside of that and maybe a few other things, I was pretty much saying, okay, text me if you're going to walk through the upstairs. So I know that you're walking through the upstairs. Things like that, where I would very much know 
where he was and where I was and that those were separate places versus when things were a lot better we did spend time together and he still slept in the basement and I still slept upstairs and I still maintained my bedroom as my safe space so he wasn't going in my room if I was in the room at all ever I had felt like I had explored that range and I felt like I was out of options and that's a hard place to be because I don't like making decisions from a place where I feel like there's no other options that was a place where I had to sit for a while to think about okay have I really explored all my options all my options I think that's really interesting because people don't understand that women who are in abusive relationships want the relationship to work. And so they try every single option, right? Mm -hmm. Every single one. And it's only when they are out of options yeah, that they think, all right, I have to do this because I'm out of options. Before, when you did the in-house separation, that seemed like the only option at the time, right? Mm -hmm. Or the best option. It did seem like the best option. I did feel like I had a lot more options when I was making that decision. What options were you considering at that time? You were considering an out-of-home separation, an in-home separation? Honestly, I didn't even consider an out-of-home at that time. Okay, so... It was pretty much... You were, it was just like options could, within an in-home separation? Or just within our relationship where I could say, okay, I need to not go on dates or I need to have variations in the space. The amount of space that I have emotionally, physically. So then when his abusive behaviors continue, now you're thinking I've exhausted all those options and now my only option is an out-of-home separation. Does this out-of-home separation include variations? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I know that there is a huge range of options in terms of does he still spend time at the house? Does he spend time with the kids? Is it really just a different place to sleep? Or is it like we're living in different states? <laughs> so there's a lot of options within that. But, but it feels it like was, less. What? But it feels like less. Well, yeah. Yeah. It felt like I was at one level and I was jumping up to like five levels higher in terms of your boundaries. My boundaries. Safety. Yeah. And that's a big jump to make. I was talking with you while you were trying to make this decision. You would text me and mm -hmm. call me and be like, you know, am I thinking through this straight? <laughs> Are these boundaries appropriate? You know, what do I want to do? So you finally decide, yes, I am going to ask him to move out. Mm -hmm. Your family, again, was confused. Absolutely. They're like, why are you asking a perfectly capable, nonviolent man who holds down a job, who is active in our church, mm -hmm. who is seemingly a good dad to move out. Yeah. Like, this is confusing to us. Mm -hmm. At that time, did they understand it anymore or were they, was it still just baffling to them? I don't know if I can make a good judgment on that, honestly, because I was in such trauma myself. My perspective on what they were Thinking and feeling is probably very skewed. Eventually, you move forward, regardless yes. of what your perception of how other people felt was. <laughs> and you're currently separated 
with him out of the home. Mm -hmm. How have you felt about your level of safety now? Now, before we talk about that, I want to say that it's so difficult to assess your safety in this situation because both scenarios feel unsafe. Yeah. Right. So having them stay in the home feels unsafe because they're lying to you and using porn and it just feels uncomfortable and it's against your value system. And then secondly, having your children's dad move out, the financial ramifications that this might cause, the emotional ramifications, the fact that this could result in divorce, which you don't want, feels unsafe too. Mm -hmm. So it's like which quote unquote unsafe scenario do I choose and why? Mm -hmm. And the decision is very complex. It's not easy at all. But since you asked him to move out, have you felt, generally speaking, more emotionally safe? I would say I've felt more at peace. I don't know if I would say more safe because realistically, I don't know. I felt a lot of unease around asking for the out-of-home separation simply for the financial aspect of it. That was another reason why I hesitated for a long time. The conclusion that I came to, and it worked for us, this doesn't work for everyone, was I asked that he cover the cost with extra work. He come up with the cost so that it doesn't dip into our normal finances. So that gave me a lot of peace going into it, saying this is possibly temporary. It could be temporary, and if it is temporary and he does end up moving back in, we end up reconciling and our relationship moves forward in a healthy way, it's not going to impact us negatively in terms of our financial future. Lindsay and I are going to pause now and we will continue this conversation next week. We're going to talk about what benchmarks are. Benchmarks are not boundaries and we'll have that discussion next week so you know the difference between a benchmark and a boundary. We'll also talk about safety and different interpretations of the word safety so please stay tuned for next week. I'm excited to have Lindsay back on. If this podcast is helpful to you, please make a recurring monthly donation. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll down to the bottom, click on make a donation, and set your recurring monthly donation today. Your donations enable me to continue to bring this message of peace and safety to women throughout the world. Also, if you're so inclined and you haven't already, please rate this podcast on iTunes or your other podcasting apps. Every single one of your ratings helps isolated women find us. And until next week, stay safe out there.